If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, uh, turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to begin reading in verse 8. We'll read through verse 17, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither is the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of. And saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen, early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall, we, or how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you one more time here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for this church, our church family. We thank you, Lord. Uh, you just The nation that we live in, the freedom that we have... God, the blessings you've poured out on us, you've been so good to us, Lord. It doesn't even feel right to ask anything else of you. But you tell us to cast our cares upon you. So we come before you with thankful hearts, thankful for the blessings you poured out on us, and thankful most of all for your son Jesus. But Lord, we also come before you here this morning with needs and with burden uh, and with requests. And so, Lord, at this time in the service, Lord, the thing that I think of the most, and I know we prayed and asked for lots of things, already this morning but i think about this service right here uh, the preaching of your word the hearts and minds of each one of us sitting here this morning so lord i'm asking i'm petitioning you lord to have your way and your will here in your in this midst lord that your presence would be felt here in a mighty way god that you would go before us and, and stir and do what only you can do here this morning lord if there's any among us that's not uh, 
not where we ought to be with you this morning. If there's any that drifted away, grown cold, uh, not sure where they stand with you, God, let today be the day that that would change and that they would turn back towards you. Lord, if there's ones among us that is just indifferent, uh, Lord, we just, we've become complacent. Lord, I pray that today you would stir uh, a burning, a passion, a fire within us. A desire to go out and win the loss to you. To see souls added to your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way and your will and you would move here in our midst in a mighty way and do what only you can do and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help as I preach your word here this morning. I don't have anything to say unless you give it to me. Nothing worth hearing unless it come from you. So, Lord, my heart's desire this morning is that you would clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. You place on my tongue the very words that you have me to speak. But these words would not just come from my tongue, but they would come from my spirit, from my soul, from deep within. I'd be able to preach this morning from my spirit to theirs as one dying man to another. And Lord, that they would know that they have heard, not from me, not from some man, but that they've heard from heaven, that they have heard from you. So Lord, I'm asking for you to do what only you can do here in this service. I'm asking for your anointing. I'm asking for your holy unction. I'm asking for you to move in a mighty way. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. This story here in the scriptures, this set of events that's recorded for us here, this historical account, um, it's one, after I got saved and began reading the scripture, it is one of the first ones that I come across that just jumped out at me and spoke to me. And I'm just like, you know, I could, I could see it. Um, one of the first messages I ever preached, I mean, I say one of the first, early on, you know, was on these scriptures. Now, I don't remember what I preached about. I don't even remember for sure where it was at. It may have been at almost home. It could have been down Dry Creek. could have been somewhere else, I guess. But anyways, I just remember this story, and I, I do remember liking it. And I remember, and I do remember having preached on it way back then, and, uh, and I've probably mentioned it in sermons several times. But anyways, in case you're not familiar with what is happening and what is going on here, there's two prophets that's prominent in this part of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. They're easy to get mixed up because their names are very similar, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the, was the older one. He was the first one. Uh, Elijah had already, he didn't actually die. He's only one of two men in the scripture who went to heaven without dying, right? He's caught up in, in, in these chariots of fire and carried away to heaven. This happens right before Elisha. Elisha sees it, all right, gets to witness it. Part of the promise that happened there, if, if Elisha was able to actually physically actually see this, that he would get a double portion. And he does get a, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so he moves and 
power. He is a prophet during this time. And so what we have that's taking place here is the kingdom of Israel has already split into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom is the one that Elisha has been talking to. It is the king of the northern kingdom that Elisha has been uh, reporting to. And what has happened is the king of Syria, right, probably Ben Hadad or however you say his name, uh, he has been making excursions into the northern kingdom of Israel. They had been doing some battles, some fighting, kind of some back and forth. And what is happening is, is Syria is bigger, Syria is mightier, you know, larger army, all that stuff. The advantage is all on their side when we look at physical things. But yet every time he goes to go into Israel and to make an attack somewhere, it's foiled. It doesn't pan out. It doesn't work out. They already know his plans before he ever even gets there. Finally, I mean, the logical conclusion, there is a traitor in my inner circle. Somebody here in my counselors and my generals, this inner circle that I am planning these battles with and planning this war with, somebody is a traitor. Somebody is going and telling the king of Israel. Only way he could know. So finally, after he's planned this battle is foiled, upset, messed up, Israel already knows, voids it all together. He calls them back together and he said, I've had enough, this is it. Which one of you's among me is for the other side? Calling you out. And one of them speaks up and says, no, you got it wrong. It's the man of God. It's a prophet by the name of Elisha. God is revealing to us, revealing to him, the things that we're talking about. He says, even the things that you say in your bedchamber. What he means by that is kind of like a saying. What he means by that is that even the things that you say that are most private, the things that you only whisper in the ear of somebody that there's no way anybody else can know, even those inner, darkest, deepest, secret things, God has revealed to Elisha, and Elisha is the one that's telling the king of Israel, and that's how he knows. Now, Notice his reaction. His reaction wasn't, oh, that baloney, that's nonsense. That wasn't his reaction. His reaction was, where's this Elisha then? Go get him. Bring him to me. So, the report comes back. Elisha is in the town of Dothan. Now, not Dothan, Alabama, but this is Dothan, uh, Israel just north, maybe 10 miles north of Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel at this time. So, Israel doesn't have an army that can stand up to Syria. Syria can, the Assyrian king, Ben-Hadad, he can send his army and his guys into Israel anytime he wants, and Israel can't stop him from doing it. There's just, there's a big power difference between the two. So he sends his army after this one man, after Elisha. Whenever they come in under the cover of darkness, they surround this little community of Dothan. When Elisha, the man of God's servant, um, some people look at that as slave. I don't think he was a slave. I just, I think he was his do whatever boy. 
I think he was his, you know, uh, his servant. I don't know how a better way to say it than that. Anyways, um, his name was probably, uh, I never can say it right, Gehaza, Gehazi, something like that. His name is mentioned in chapters 4, 5, and 8. So that's probably who it is here. But anyways, whoever it is, this servant, when he comes out that morning to do the chores in the morning, right? Comes out that morning to do the chores, he sees the Syrian army got him circled. And he's like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> you have, Elisha, you have done it now. You went and you've gotten us all killed, you know? And so he's, right, he's yelling, Elias, master, what shall we do? And a miraculous thing happens. See, we forget. The Bible tells us greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And Elisha's like, no, no, no. Boy, you just you don't get it. You don't understand. He prays that God would open his eyes. And what's meant by opening his eyes is that he can see that God would give him a glimpse into the spiritual realm. He didn't have any problems seeing the physical realm. But you need to see into the spiritual realm. I mean, just think about these things for just a minute. Okay? I mean, look what is happening. The very strong army, the stronger army of the Syrians, they're being upset. They're being, their plans are being messed up. They're being defeated at every corner. Not because of the power and the might of Israel or the king of Israel or anything like that, but because of the power and might of God. You miss them. See, they were they just, he wasn't getting it. He was missing the whole thing here. And so when Elisha prayed that his eyes would be opened, he sees into the spiritual realm for maybe just a moment, I don't know. And he sees the heavenly, I'll say it this way Elisha's heavenly bodyguard. The bodyguards, think of that, like the Secret Service, you know, heaven's version of the Secret Service uh, force, protection around Elisha. And the, the Syrians' army, it was nothing in comparison. Of course, you could go on and you can read the rest of that events and see what happens and how Elisha captures all the rest of them and everything. But what I want to point out for a minute is I want to talk about the problem this servant had. The problem that um, Gehazi, or however you say his name, the problem that he had. You see, because I'm afraid a lot of people today are infected with the same deadly virus that Gehazi had. I'm afraid that they're suffering from the same thing. I don't know what the technical medical term might be for it, but here's what I refer to it as. I call it secondhand religion. That's the, I think that, that is what he had been infected with, secondhand religion. And I, it manifests in the form of spiritual blindness. You see, we can see what's right in front of us. We can see the material world. We can see the 
physical world, in other words. We can see the world of finance. We can see the world of politics. We can see the world of business. We can see the world of ambition. We can see the world of entertainment. We can see the world of pleasure, the world of luxury, the world of convenience, uh, just the world of things. We can see those things. But we can't see beyond that. We are blind to the things which are spiritual. That is the problem. That is what his problem was, Elisha's servant was in that day, and that is the problem that so many of us have today. Let me, I got just a couple points I want to go over with you on this. First of all, recognize that Gehazi, he wasn't blind to the problem that they faced. He saw what was going on. Right? He saw what was going on all around him. He saw the great Syrian army, right? He saw the enemy coming in like a flood. He saw the horses and the chariots. He heard the clang of the, of the swords against the shields. He saw all of that. He saw the mighty army. He knew that they were in a world of hurt. We can look out at the world around us and we can see those same things today. We can see the wickedness. We can see what is going on. We can see the flesh. We can see that the devil is armed to the teeth and ready to consume us. He wasn't blind to the problem. We're not blind to the problem today either. He wasn't ignorant of God's power. Right? He had seen God work one miracle after another. Remember, if you follow him through here, I believe he saw all 14 of Elisha's miracles that are recorded through here. He was there when Elisha helped uh, the widow lady with the never-ending supply of oil. He was there when Elisha took the, uh, took the poison out of the, the stew or the soup or whatever it was. He was there whenever Naaman was healed of his leprosy. He was there when the axe head floated on the water, when it was raised up out of the riverbed. Uh, you know, or, or if you want to look at the symbolism there, raised from the watery grave and began to float on the river. He was there for all of it. He was not ignorant of God's power. If we talk to many Christians today, many in our churches, they're not ignorant of God's power. They can talk about the things that God has done in the past. But you see, here's where his problem lay in. He lacked a personal encounter with Elisha's God. He saw the miracles that God did through Elisha but he had never performed one himself. He heard Elisha pray, but he never done any praying himself. He saw the blessings that God poured out, but he did not know the blesser, the one from whom the blessings come. He had what I call second-hand religion. Now, I've got to tell you, second-hand religion... Um, you know, I've heard some say it'll probably last you for a while. Um, you know, when everything is well and everything is going great and everything is roses, but when trouble comes, uh, uh, you're going to be up the creek without a paddle, as the saying goes. And believe me, it will not get you one inch towards heaven. You see, to get into God's heaven, you've got to have the real thing. 
You've got to have a real encounter with the true, only true and living God. We see Gehazi's problem. I think it was this. He was a hireling. He was an employee. He was a servant. And nothing more. It was simply a job to him. It was something to do. And no doubt, I, I don't doubt that he didn't serve Elisha well. He'd probably done his job really well. But Elisha's God wasn't his God. Right? He wasn't like Ruth of old whenever Ruth told Naomi, your God will be my God. We don't see this from uh, Gehazi anywhere. He was just along for the ride. He had no personal relationship with God other than what he got secondhand from Elisha. The real telltale uh, sign was that he looked out and he saw the, the enemy coming in like a flood and his reaction. He cried out, not to God, but he cries out, Master, what shall we do? You know, like it's hopeless. We're powerless. Oh, no. We've finally been defeated. Oh, you were smart enough to outsmart them this long, but they finally have gotten us. That's the telltale sign in all this. It, and that seems to be the same um, sentiment today. We look out and we see all that is the enemy and everything that is going on. And it's like the only thing that we have to defend ourselves with is the same secondhand religion that Gehazi had. Well, it didn't work for him then, and it's not going to work for us. Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Until you have your own personal encounter with Christ, you'll never have any convictions of your own. You'll never have any um, personal answers to prayer in your own life. You'll never know what it is to have victory over sin in your life. And so when the enemy comes in like a flood, you're going to want something more than somebody else's religion. You're going to want a touch from heaven. And without that touch... It doesn't matter how often you attend church. It doesn't matter how much you put into the offering plate. It doesn't matter how spiritual your family is. It doesn't matter how many verses of scripture that you have memorized. It doesn't matter how grounded you are doctrinally without a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, one that is absolutely life-transforming, you are still just as lost as Elisha's servant was. So let me tell you this. There's a lot of things that we can experience in life without knowing the Lord. But one thing you'll never experience 
is the realities of the things that are spiritual, heavenly, eternal. You need Christ. Without him, you'll never see any of these things. Never. Never at all. So I beg you this morning, there are so many that has, that has tried to ride through on the coattails of someone else. I've said this before, this is something that's always, not that I doubt my children's, you know, faith or spirituality at all, but just as a parent who, uh, you know, who's a preacher and a pastor, I've always worried from the time that they were young uh, that, you know, that their experience with God, their religion would just be what come through me. It would be secondhand and not their own personal encounter. There is so many that have go through life and not have their own personal experience, their own personal relationship, their own personal encounter with God. And I'm begging you, I'm telling you this morning, it will not get you, it won't get you far enough, okay? It will not get you far enough. It will not get you to heaven. It will not get you what you truly need. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? You got a need, you got a burden, whatever it is, would you come this morning? Don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning?